Welcome to Tell Me About It, episode 10. Today I have Dr. Felicity Sapp, who is a registered psychologist and Canadian accredited cognitive behavior therapist with expertise in anxiety disorders and obsessive compulsive related disorders. She has close to 20 years of experience in providing mental health care with extensive experience working with children and adolescents. She's here today to share her journey and answer some of our questions about OCD and anxiety on What Better Week Than OCD Awareness Week. So thank you so much for coming and being on the podcast. Let's just start by you telling us a little bit more about yourself and what really started your journey in this career path. Okay, uh, well thanks Nina for having me. Um, I'm really happy to be able to speak at this time because it is OCD Awareness Week, so it's uh, an important uh, time to be able to speak about it. So I, well, as you mentioned earlier, I started um, basically doing my um, studies in clinical psychology, working with children and adolescents. And I started working at uh, the children, uh, Children's Hospital, uh, Child and Adolescent Psychiatry, to be exact, in Kingston, Ontario, after I graduated um, from Queen's University there. Mm-hmm. I had two sort of areas that I worked in particularly one was mood and anxiety and the other was kind of just general psychiatry Mm -hmm. and with respect to the mood and anxiety I really started enjoying that Um, but after a few years my family took me to Sacramento Mm -hmm. uh, in California and we moved there and when we moved there I really uh, found a job in a intensive day treatment program that Mm -hmm. specialized in working with people who had anxiety um, and people who had OCD and it was there this was and this was people they were people who were so debilitated that they couldn't go to work they couldn't go to school Um, it was Mm. all ages and they basically would come and they would be in the program for four hours every day in the Mm. morning um, and then practice, and they would be there for about mm, anywhere from two to four months. So it was quite intense. And by living in the States, you know, I, I became very sort of specialized in working in anxiety. And also, because the population is so huge, right? Um, we have basically an opportunity to see different types of anxiety disorders and obsessive mm-hmm. compulsive related disorders that I don't have that opportunity to see as often right here in Canada. What was it like living in California by the way? <laughs> it was really nice. Um, unfortunately I was well not necessarily unfortunately but I was there only three years. <laughs> okay. Um, and so it feels almost like this big three-year vacation that we oh, had. Oh yeah for sure. <laughs> but it was the, I think the biggest thing and is that it was super super crowded and populated and I remember the very beginning first time and just all these people (laughs) coming Mm -hmm. but anyway I I, I really enjoyed working there and by living in the states I became very involved in the um, OCD world oh yeah the most popular diagnosis we saw at this clinic was OCD Mm -hmm. and I started um, going to the uh, international OCD conferences um, and I've now been going there and presenting for the past uh, well since 2008. Oh nice. Yeah and so it really helped me kind of see how treatable this Mm -hmm. is and OCD kind of became a bit of a passion for me. I really enjoyed it. It was fun. I worked with adults as well as children Mm -hmm. and then when we moved back to Canada and to Calgary in particular which was about 11 years ago I decided that I wanted to specialize in anxiety disorders and in particular uh, obsessive compulsive disorder. Do you enjoy working with children and adolescents more? That's a that's an interesting question because there are great things about working with kids. One of the things I love the most mm-hmm. is it keeps me young. <laughs> because yeah. when I work with kids, obviously I'm coloring with them. Yeah. But I'm still doing cognitive behavioral therapy, but I'm doing it in a very child-friendly way. Mm-hmm. Um, so we kind of can use, it's not play therapy as mm-hmm. what people think of as play therapy, but we use play and fun and games in order to do the cognitive behavioral therapy. Nice. Okay. And then working with um, adult adolescents and working with adults um, I really I do enjoy working with adults as well because they're much they're they're motivated they're there because they want to be there they're more aware as well yes yeah um can you tell us like what exactly is OCD 
Now, that's <laughs> that's an interesting question in the sense that um, we don't really know sort of what causes OCD. But when we mm-hmm. think about what is OCD, it's a basically it's a mental health illness, um, and it is a basically people get caught up in a combination and a cycle of what we call obsessions and mm-hmm. compulsions. So. OCD, so the obsessive part, an obsession is basically an unwanted, intrusive um, thought that kind of comes, often the person knows it doesn't make sense, they don't want to have it there, but regardless, it gets stuck, and it gets stuck in their brain, and then they start to put some meaning to it because it's stuck there, and then they start to think, um, and then that meaning, you know, oh, why am I having this thought? So someone may have a thought, and I'll use sort of a stereotypical, um, is they may have that thought that, oh, there's some germs on that table. Mm. And that fear of touching the table and then getting sick would cause get stuck in their head. And so they then start going, oh, well, if I touch that table, then I would end up getting sick and maybe throwing up or getting a, a really bad disease. And, and then what happens is they start that thoughts, as you can mm. imagine, causes them to feel anxiety, distress, and in an effort for them to be able to kind of get rid of that anxiety and distress, they will engage in some type of a behavior. And it can mm. be something they do physically. So they might, you know, if, if they did touch something they thought had germs on it, they might wash their hands. Um, they might avoid touching things, mm-hmm. using their sleeve to open doors. Um, they might also do something in their head, mm-hmm. you know. Um, they might tell themselves, no, you know, germs can't last that long and it's okay. Mm-hmm. And so they might be kind of doing a, what we call a mental ritual. And when they do those behaviors, whether it's physical or mental, then they feel that kind of relief of, oh, that felt better. That made me feel better. And so then the next time that they have that kind of scary thought, they're going to engage in that behavior again. Okay. So we don't know what causes it, but is there any scientific evidence or backup that it could be genetic? Oh, well... You know, we, we know a little bit about what causes it. Okay. But we don't know specifically. Mm. What we know about OCD is that it is a neurobiological disorder. Mm-hmm. And what that means is that over time, your brain becomes wired in a way, the, through that cycle I described, that is maintaining the OCD cycle mm. and making it bigger and like making it stronger over time. We do know that there is a hereditary Um, component to OCD. Mm -hmm. Um, There's been studies looking at twins, um, both identical and fraternal, Mm -hmm. looking at twins who have been brought up in different homes. And they found that if like one twin has OCD, an identical twin, and Mm -hmm. a fraternal twin has OCD, that the likelihood of that second identical twin having OCD is much greater than it would be for Mm. the fraternal twin. Interesting. It's not a one-to-one correspondence, yeah. but it definitely, there is an aspect to that. Okay. What are the different types of OCD and levels of severity? And when people say like, oh, I always need to organize my closet, I have OCD. I understand that could probably get annoying for some people who actually struggle with OCD or is that maybe? Yeah, no, that's that's something I will want to talk about for yeah. sure is the I'm I'm so OCD piece. Yeah. Um, but before I do that, I'll talk, I'll answer your first question. Mm-hmm. Um, so when we think about, there are many, many diff- different types of OCD. Mm-hmm. Um, in fact, it's very individual. And even if someone has the same sort of general in, in fear, there may be some more specific uh, type of other fear that they have or or their their ritual might be different so mm-hmm. it is very individualized and that's why the treatment has to be very individualized as well mm-hmm. um, but the more what we kind of hear about in common world here and in media and society is we hear about like I said you know kind of the fear of getting contaminated of uh, for germs or dirt mm-hmm. uh, toxics things like that and worrying that you're going to you know contract some type of an illness um, or spread it to someone else mm-hmm. and then there's kind of a fear of that some accidental harm might come to somebody that you yeah. care about because of something you did, like, you know, leaving the stove on and causing a fire. Um, and then those people who have OCD in that way will 
have to check multiple times. So we hear about that one too. Um, and then there's kind of a third one, which goes to what you were sort of saying, which is where there's that urge and need to have things put in order or arranged mm. in a certain way. Um, and, and so it's, it's, there's a little bit of kind of a perfectionism piece there, yeah. but it's also this feeling, this urge that if I don't have it that way, that this feeling won't go away. Um, and so those are kind of the more common ones. There are also some really types of OCD that are less common and that people know less about and they're not talked about as much. Mm -hmm. Um, And those are what I kind of quotation call bad thoughts. Mm -hmm. Um, And those are sort of people can have fears around harm. They might be afraid that they are going to harm someone they love or Mm -hmm. they're afraid that they themselves, that they're going to harm themselves. Um, They there's also a fear around sort of sexual obsessions where there's a fear that um, I may do something sexually inappropriate with a child mm-hmm. or with people like, you know, people I know, family, or mm-hmm. even just strangers. Um, and then there's another piece to that, which is that I, my sexual orientation is not what I think it is. Hmm. So that's another place that it can, you can see it as well. Mm-hmm. And then Third, the, sort of another area that we see is what we can kind of call, quotation, religious OCD. And religious OCD, or scrupulosity is another name mm. for that, is where it's this fear of being immoral or evil or mm. somehow so cheating or lying, um, even worshipping like the devil or some, mm-hmm. you know, go, or going against um, their religion. And then feeling that I, you know, quotation sinned and then having to confess or pray excessively in order to kind of relieve those anxieties. So those are some different types. um, And the level of severity can really range, right? We can see people who have uh, very, so basically when, you know, if I'm looking at diagnosing OCD, um, and I do need to mention, you know, when I was, you were asking me about OCD, that in order to sort of receive that diagnosis, that the person has to be showing these types of behaviors to an extreme amount. Mm-hmm. Um, so they need to be spending excessive amounts of time doing their rituals mm-hmm. um, to the point where it gets in the way of them being able to function. So where they can't live their life normally. Exactly. Okay. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Um, so because we all have, you know, intrusive thoughts and I can talk about that later, mm-hmm. but really it's this, it's really that level of severity that's going to then define whether someone is actually diagnosed with OCD or not. Yeah. Now, so severity can range from kind of mild all the way to what we call extreme. Mm-hmm. And mild would be where somebody is experiencing um, obsessions and engaging in rituals, um, but they are still able to to function at a point. It might be mildly impairing them, mm-hmm. but in general, they can do what they need to do. Um, and then, of course, we have all the way to extreme, which is where people are pretty much debilitated and mm-hmm. unable to work to um, socialize, um, you know, and, you know, I've had some clients that I've sort of seen in these various levels. I mean, you can see how that continuum is for any mental health issue, you're going to have that continuum as well. Um, It, you know, OCD starts, can start, there's sort of children or adults can be where it starts right Mm -hmm. so we common like it can be as young as three that a child could start Um, and interesting too is that sometimes there and there's no kind of necessarily sudden thing that brings it on there can Mm -hmm. be a trigger but that's what I was saying before there's no kind of cause that brings it on at the Mm -hmm. time Um, and often what happens is between puberty, like eight to 12 is where we sort of see, um, it, it typically develop, Mm -hmm. um, for children, boys more than girls at that age. Once we get past puberty, then you see kind of girls and boys together are Mm -hmm. in equal amounts. Um, and then we kind of have young adulthood, which would be like late teens or young adulthood is sort of a second on, on place where it can start. And, um, it often, but not always Mm -hmm. can start more mild and then over time, it will kind of shift and it can shift types 
over time. Okay. So you can have, you know, I've, I've met people who, you know, when they were younger, it was more around worrying about harm coming to someone they care about. And then as they sort of got older, then maybe it, mm. and, and then maybe it got into fears around sexual obsessions. And then maybe as they get older, then it kind of goes into something else. So it can, it can shift and change. Mm-hmm. Um, and the one thing that's important to know is that it is chronic. Right? Mm. It is something that will worsen over time unless there's proper treatment. Oh, so no. that's kind of important, you know, for people to understand. And yeah. Okay. Wow. Um, let's talk a little bit about the intrusive thoughts and okay. like where those come from and why do so many people get intrusive thoughts? And is there something that's actually like your brain chemistry? Is there something changing while you have these thoughts? Yeah, that's a great question. And um, the first thing that I do want to say is that we all have intrusive thoughts. Mm-hmm. You know, um, every single person has intrusive thoughts. We actually have absolutely no control mm-hmm. over the thoughts that pop into our head. Right. Yeah. So thoughts are going to pop into our head. We don't have control over that. We have control over what we do with them, but we don't have control with them popping into our head. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, I can imagine there must have been times where you've had thoughts that just kind of popped into your head that you were, you know, kind of going, ooh, that's a weird thought, right? (laughs) Yeah, I totally have. Yeah. Especially as a kid, too, which I find very weird. Yeah. Like, I think of random swear words, and then I'd be like, whoa, why am I saying those things in my head? And then growing up and now thinking back, it's weird that... Even as a child, I had that and thought it was just normal, just something every day. <laughs> right. And, you know, that can that can be the type of thing that happens is that this mm-hmm. intrusive thought comes and it's that idea of like, OK, well, why am I having this? Mm-hmm. And for some people, it, they can get stuck in that loop. Yeah. So we all have intrusive thoughts. And I, I, I actually remember when I lived in the States and we went hiking um, in I think it was Zion Park in Utah. Mm -hmm. And my kids were quite young at that time. And we were hiking on a very high ledges. And I remember this thought popping to my head of my, or maybe it was an image, because I forgot to tell you, it's not just thoughts. It can be images and urges Mm -hmm. that we, that people can experience too. And it was this image of them falling off the cliff. And I was like, whoa, (laughs) when that thought came, what, what's that? And, and then I remember thinking, wow, I can't imagine that thought being stuck in my head. And it really helped me understand like what it must be like for people who have OCD to have that type of thought stuck in your head, Mm -hmm. right? But um, these intrusive thoughts, they they do come to everybody. Mm -hmm. And there's even been some really neat research that's actually looked at this. So we actually see like there was um, studies where they looked at kind of the general population and Mm -hmm. they made sure nobody had any diagnosis of any mental health issue. They gave them um, questionnaires of a whole bunch of different types of thoughts, intrusive thoughts, OCD quotation like mm-hmm. thoughts. And they asked them if they had ever had this type of thought in their life. And 85 to 90 percent said yes. Mm, wow. And the belief is the other 10 to 15 percent are lying. Lying, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> because we all have intrusive thoughts. Um, that's kind of that other piece. The, you asked me a question around. We, I was just talking about how we all have those intrusive thoughts mm-hmm. um, and then OCD will then kind of feed on the guilt that comes from having them mm-hmm. and then we'll feed on the doubt that well, what does this mean? Why am I having this? Um, and so what we know about the brain and I mentioned earlier that this is a neurobiological dis- disorder. Mm-hmm. So the brain, there's kind of different structures in, in the brain. Um, there's sort of in the deeper parts of the brain is the part of the brain that tells us when there's danger. So it's like the danger signal part of the mm. brain. There's another part of the brain that sort of tells us when to keep focusing on things. Um, and we kind of see with people with OCD that there are changes in their brain chemistry. So we can see that the part of the brain that focuses is kind of this and, and tells you when to stop focusing has a bit of a faulty stop signal, whereas the part of the brain that tells us when there's danger is really in this hyper alert state. So it is firing more often than it needs to. And basically what happens is that once, when the brain fires off, it's a combination of these two. So we have this hyper alert uh, danger signal being fired off Mm -hmm. and then 
because the body doesn't know the difference of whether that danger is mm-hmm. a real danger or not, it's going to respond as if it is. So our whole body, the adrenaline gets going mm-hmm. um, and we get our sympathetic nervous system starts to be activated. Mm-hmm. And that feeling that comes on is anxiety. And that feeling of anxiety is the warning signal to our body that this is dangerous. You need to protect me. And so then we get into that fight or flight. And so once we, um, the, once that fight or flight gets activated, then the person's going to do what you would do just as if there was a mugger in front of you or a bear in front of you, you're going to try and get away. Okay. And it's that, those connections in the brain that are, and, and that are wiring together. Um, because now it's, your brain is kind of saying, Ooh, this is dangerous. So I got away from it. So therefore it must really be dangerous. So then the next time you have that same scary thought, your brain is going to go, Ooh, I'm supposed to warn, you know, her about this because this is, this is dangerous. Mm -hmm. And so it's on this hyper alert. And so because it's on this hyper alert, the intrusive thoughts just keep coming. Mm -hmm. So, you know, a better question really is why do they get stuck? And that's kind of why they get stuck. They get stuck because the brain sends off this uh, signal, the danger part of the telling there's danger, the body and the other part of the brain responds to it. And we get mm-hmm. caught in this loop of this is what I'm supposed to do. Right. And so it's this OCD loop of what is what we kind of can call it. OK, that's really interesting. Um, so you kind of talked about the anxiety. So do OCD and anxiety coincide with one another like do they go hand in hand like if you have OCD do you have anxiety so there so when you're saying anxiety Mm -hmm. I think of anxiety as an emotion and as a feeling okay and if I think of it that way then I'm going to say yes so basically OCD if I think of it as anxiety disorder, as in mm-hmm. like social anxiety disorder or a phobia or mm-hmm. um, a panic disorder or generalized anxiety disorder, then that answer is, is, is not necessarily, it's, it's no. <laughs> right. Now, in fact, about six years ago, and OCD was considered one of the anxiety disorders. So for mm-hmm. the you know, manual that those of us in the profession for diagnosing would use. At that time, OCD was considered an anxiety disorder. But now it has been removed and there's a new um, category called obsessive compulsive related disorders. And under that is obsessive compulsive disorder, Mm -hmm. something called trichotillomania and skin picking. Um, Then there's also hoarding Mm -hmm. um, and there's some sort of other ones as well and they uh, body dysmorphic disorder so they all kind of fall under under that okay. um, and so OCD even though it's not an anxiety disorder anxiety is a big piece of it so you certainly can have more than one type of mental health um, issue you can have OCD and have uh, generalized anxiety or you can have OCD and have social anxiety right. um, but just because someone has, say, a social anxiety disorder or another uh, d- anxiety disorder does not necessarily mean that they're going to have OCD. Okay. What are some of the treatment options for OCD? So there are medication is mm-hmm. one option. And then what we call um, the most useful or the most effective and what research has really shown is something called cognitive behavioral therapy. Mm-hmm. And Depending on severity, there will be either using both together. So for more severe cases, um, you know, you might need to have both at the same time. Mm-hmm. Um, for people who have sort of moderate or, or mild cases and don't have sort of other comorbid, like diet depression or other things going on, yeah. then they can just as well do the cognitive behavior therapy and have the same level of... Um, improvement. Mm -hmm. So, you know, there's been lots of research looking at the effectiveness of these different types of therapy. And what they have found is that, you know, CBT and um, medication are as effective and much more effective than say, quote, like talk therapy or something like that. What we, what's kind of interesting though, is that when we look at how this happens, we see changes in brain chemistry. Mm -hmm for people who take medication. 
So before they start treatment, we look at their brain scan after and their brain scan, and we can see changes in their brain chemistry. When we look at people who just do cognitive behavioral therapy and we look at before and after, again, we can see changes in mm. their brain chemistry. And that's kind of cool because cool, yeah. you're actually changing <laughs> the brain chemistry. And, you know, the wiring I was talking about, that the goal of treatment is to rewire the brain. Mm-hmm. It's to teach that part of the brain that's sort of giving that false alarm um, to stop doing that. And I... You know, the most effective part of CBT is something called, is the behavioral part, which is something Mm. called exposure and response prevention treatment. Um, And so that's what we are trying to do. Um, You can also, so that's kind of options. Sometimes there are, there's group treatment that people Mm. can do. Um, And like, like when I worked in the States, there was more intensive programs there. There's quite a bit, a lot of those. Would you say that you most commonly treat using CBT? Or medication, or is it kind of like just 50-50? Okay, so I I only use cognitive behavior therapy oh, okay. and ERP in terms of the treatment that I provide. Mm-hmm. However, there are cases or clients that I will see who, um, depending on their level of severity, I might suggest, oh, you know, I think it might be helpful to have medication here because it might just, it just kind of turns the volume down on the obsessions. It takes the edge off Mm -hmm. their anxiety so that they can better engage in treatment. Mm -hmm. Um, I've had clients who have not wanted to do that and that's perfectly fine. And I will not suggest that unless it's, you know, either they have other comorbid disorders like depression or something that could be getting in the way or it's quite severe. Mm Mm-hmm. Can you tell us one of like some of the worst cases that you've seen of OCD? Sure. Um, I've seen a lot. I've seen like thousands of people with OCD. So it is, there have been um, cases, especially when I was in the States, I'll talk about one right now. Mm-hmm. Um, I remember there was a 20 year old, 28 year old male who was mm-hmm. there um, and he had basically was unable to function. He was spending hours and hours and hours just getting stuck in his ritual. So his OCD was of the type that when I started doing something, I I, I had, I had to do it until it felt right. Mm -hmm. So it was kind of these repetitive behaviors that were happening. And so if he would go into the kitchen and he had to get something out of the fridge, um, he would have to maybe move things, like do these movements and move things and do this series of, of routines um, in order. And if anyone interrupted him, he would have to start all over again. Oh, and no. Or if he interrupted himself by right. something. And so he could spend hours in there. And he actually got to the point where he was, you know, sitting in the couch in the living room and saying, mom, go get me a sandwich. Mom, could you please get me a drink? So Mm. he was avoiding going into those situations because he didn't want to get stuck. So he was actually now drawing his mom into the, Mm. the situation. And that's pretty common, right? That family or loved ones get really pulled into the rituals, um, and to help helping people sort of get rid of their fear. Um, OCD, sorry, I'm just going to side here, but OCD mm-hmm. really, it's a fear-based disorder. There's always a fear associated yeah. with it and that false alarm that's happening. And so people want to rid themselves of that fear. Uh, there was another um, young lady, young adult I saw, who had a contamination fear. Um, and she had gotten, in a situ- gotten triggered by a situation that happened um, mm-hmm. that brought on this intense fear Um, and by the time I had seen her, she had actually been not diagnosed for a long time. By the time I saw her, uh, she was pretty much avoiding everything. She, Mm. um, got to a point where she was sort of stuck in her house. She was unable to even do some basic self-care behaviors, um, couldn't leave the house because there were, or, or couldn't go certain places that she would considered contaminated. Hmm. And uh, in the end, she hadn't sort of seen her family, some of her family members, because they had become contaminated. So she hadn't seen them or spent time with them for quite a bit of, you know, a couple years or a year at least. Oh, wow. Yeah, because of that. And got to the point where she was very, just kind of stuck in the house, um, only could eat certain things. Yeah, I can't imagine that. 
How do you emotionally remove yourself from hearing about these stories and hearing the struggles of your patients? Does it affect you on a daily basis? So as you noted earlier, I've been doing this for a long time. Mm -hmm. And certainly at the very beginning of my career, even before I really got into OCD too, um, I had to learn that skill. Mm-hmm. And at the beginning, when I was kind of, you know, fresh out of grad school or freshly minted PhD, I was not, I mean, it was hard, it was harder. And at this stage, you kind of, you you do get close to people. You're talking to them about things that are very, very, um, well, scary for them to talk about. I mean, you mm-hmm. can imagine someone who has like a fear that they are going to harm their their child, um, they start to think that maybe they're going crazy. Yeah. And so you have to really um, get trust built and you have to really kind of, you get this relationship. And because the treatment is not a quick fix, you know, I I see these people for a bit of time. Mm -hmm. And so you become attached in some way. But on the other hand, I still, you know, when I leave my office and I go home, I try to turn all that off because Mm -hmm. otherwise I would get too emotionally like uh invested or attached yeah yeah that's a good way of saying it now I still and like you know part of the goal of this treatment is to um I sort of say to my clients I say you know I must be in one of the only jobs where my goal is to get myself fired Mm -hmm. right so my goal is to teach them the skills Mm -hmm. to retrain their brain and then to learn a new way to respond to you know OCD or when those obsessions or those intrusive thoughts come and then they off they go and Mm -hmm. so yeah I think about my clients that afterwards and I sort of think about oh I wonder how they're doing and and I always like to hear how they're doing Mm -hmm. so yeah for sure what are some of the most common misconceptions people have about OCD? Okay, so I'm really glad you're asking this, especially because mm-hmm. it's OCD Awareness Week. Um, and I have a few, so I want to go awesome. through them. Um, but one of the biggest ones that I sort of see is is the idea that like OCD is seen as something kind of funny or, or quirk or quirky. Mm. Um you know, and that's kind of how it can be portrayed on TV, um, characters, you know, there's, I don't know, there was a TV show years ago called Monk and there was the lead detective had OCD and he was kind of quirky and funny and people would kind of laugh at what he was doing. And, uh, you know, even Sheldon, I think on Big Bang, you know, has yeah. definitely <laughs> has some. Um, and so they're seen kind of as, as quirky and that's really not the case. Um, that's more you know, it, it really is a mental health illness. It mm-hmm. is not a choice for mm-hmm. people. Um, a lot of people are quite, you know, I have clients who are quite surprised when they finally do get a diagnosis of OCD because they are like, well, if I had a mental health illness, I would have known, wouldn't I have, you know, or wouldn't right. someone around me have known? And people can go 10, 20 years without even knowing that they have OCD. And so it really, but it really is a mental health illness. And so by talking about it in that way, um, it tends to diminish what they're going through. Mm-hmm. Um, I had another client, you know, and the other thing is, you know, sometimes people can think it's a phase that I'm going through. Um, I had one client who felt like, oh, if only I was mentally strong enough to just, you know, talk myself out of this. Mm-hmm. Well, that's, again, that didn't happen. And that's not, that's not possible. It's, it is chronic and it's not a phase. The second one that I like to talk or want to talk about is sort of what you were talking about earlier is that a lot of times people can sort of say, oh, I'm so OCD. Mm-hmm. You know, they use that as an adjective. They use OCD as an adjective. Yeah. And people who have OCD, OCD sufferers, they are, that bothers them probably one of the most. Mm-hmm. They are, it really diminishes what people, again, what people are going through. Um, it's you know, I'm just because I'm. I like to have things neat or tidy. Um, it, it's not the same as having OCD. For people who have OCD, they are compelled. Like they have to have that cup in that exact spot or those that knife block that way. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not a choice. They don't want to have these types of thoughts. Often, people, you know, again, will 
be tidy and organized and they enjoy that they like it and there's a it's, it's fun like it's pleasurable or it makes them feel good yeah for people with OCD there's no pleasure involved there's it's, it's debilitating fear. it yeah. is it is mm-hmm. um they're doing these things because they're afraid not mm-hmm. because they want to the other th- misconception is people will use that term like obsessed I'm obsessed mm-hmm. with this new song and again people with OCD uh again, it kind of diminishes what it really is. Because when you're sort of obsessed with a song, that means like you're you're preoccupied with it. You enjoy it, right? You enjoy it. You can still go to your job. You can still make your own dinner, you know. But for someone who has OCD, an obsession is not something they enjoy. It's Mm. it's fear-based, right? So they're afraid when they have those thoughts. They're not enjoying having those. Totally. um, and then again, they can't function, right? We talked about that earlier. So mm-hmm. that's a big change. Would you say it's more prevalent in women or in men? So when you sort of get past puberty, it's pretty mm-hmm. equal between men okay. and women. Yeah. Um, and there, it's more prevalent with um, in children, with boys, when before puberty. But after puberty, mm. it's pretty much equal. OCD really doesn't discriminate. It, um, it will affect any age, any gender, any uh, race. It does not discriminate. Right. Okay, good to know. <laughs> Let's get into some of the questions I got from social media. So the first one I got here is, what does smoking weed do for anxiety? <laughs> <laughs> okay, so that's, yeah, that's a good question. Um, so really, what we know is that you know research has basically shown that long-term use or chronic use of of weed is something that can make anxiety worse over Mm -hmm. time um, or it can even cause panic Mm. to occur or panic attacks now when you break down weed you know you have kind of the cbd piece of it and that Part, there is evidence showing that you know that that is um, there like helps with pain and that it um, is has anti-inflammatory components and but there's no high with that aspect mm. of it and people will sometimes you know use those types of I don't know t- tinctures and oils and things um, and that can help in the short term but once we sort of get using the THC component of, mm-hmm. of weed, then what tends to happen is anxiety will worsen over time. It's that chronic use of okay. it. So there may be a short-term relief to it. You can feel relaxed and it's in, and so mm-hmm. forth. But chronic use over time likely is going to lead to kind of feeling panicky and anxiety. And I have mm-hmm. clients who that's what they experience. You know, they, they'll, right. they'll have either a bad trip or something and they end up going, oh my gosh, like... And then after that, now it's worse. Now they have panic yeah. attacks regularly. Another question I got is when should you ask for help or notice when someone is struggling? So basically, if you observe somebody who is struggling to the point where they are not able to do the things they need to be doing day to day. So if they are, again, if it's affecting jobs, if it's affecting um, your work, and if this is somebody wondering when to get help, then it would be more like, you know, again, it's that excessive time being used up. Often people who, you know, if you're looking, if it's a, it's a significant other, it's hard sometimes to know because mm-hmm. a lot of times it's it's hidden. OCD symptoms are really easily hidden. Mm-hmm. Um, and so you might, and if it's like a child, you know, you might see changes in their behavior. Um, you might see one other thing is them is kind of this repetitive questioning happening. So, um, you know, if I'm really worried that that um, some harm might come to you, I might be, you know, constantly texting you mm-hmm. and checking on you all the time to make sure that you're okay. And you might get annoyed because that gets annoying, right? Yeah. <laughs> and so it, it can cause kind of conflict within relationships. And so I think if those types of things are happening, then at that stage, people can kind of recognize that, oh, you know, maybe right. this is something more. I'm just going to add to that, which is that, you know, if somebody, you know, if you kind of recognize or think that somebody 
needs help, the most important part that you can do is kind of educate yourself about OCD and then gently kind of approach them mm-hmm. and and see if that's something that they're open to. Um, it's going to be really important for patients and to be non-judgmental, right? Because a lot of the things that people might talk about, um, mm-hmm. you know, I, I even had a client, and this is not a, a good case, but I have a client who was I had a fear of harming their child and told you know their significant other and then the significant other wouldn't let them near the child right and so that's really that's really hard and that's really scary and that's also completely false right because that person is terrified of harming their child um I went on a tangent sorry about that Mm -hmm. but going back to what you're saying is the other piece is that the most important thing though is that the person who has OCD needs to want to have help. Forcing someone to come to treatment isn't going to be helpful. I've had, you know, people who um, there it's their again significant others or parents who mm-hmm. want them to be seen me. And um, I remember this one client I had again. It was quite severe. Mm-hmm. Um, who was stuck in the home and basically hadn't even finished, I think, high school, but was a young adult at that time. And just wasn't able to kind of get, would get stuck and, and so couldn't really do self-care things. Mm-hmm. They would come to treatment with me and they would do the types of things that I would ask them to do. Like we, they were able to do the exposure and response prevention treatment. They would go home and maybe not practice not practice it and they wouldn't really engage it or bring it into their life Mm -hmm. and they just weren't motivated enough and so basically unless the reasons for changing are more than the reasons for not changing Mm -hmm. then people aren't going to make that change so until that happens people need to have that motivation and that really goes for any mental illness right they really need to want to yeah exactly help themselves yeah How many people are accurately diagnosed with OCD? So I can't answer in terms of how many people. Yeah. But what I can tell you is some is some interesting stuff, which is that, you know, the diagnosis for OCD is can be fairly complicated. And there's been some research looking at kind of how well people can actually diagnose Mm -hmm. um, OCD and really it needs to be someone who is a specialist and who really, who can recognize the different aspects. So there was, I um, can't remember when, but there was a study that they looked at physicians in New York hospitals mm-hmm. and over 50% were unable to diagnose. Oh, wow. Uh, misdiagnosed. Um, they're not necessarily trained the mm-hmm. same way as someone in mental health right field right. however another type of research that was recently done or study that was done um, was looking at mental health professionals mm-hmm. and over 80 percent of them had their phd 50 percent of them of those said that they had a cognitive behavioral therapy orientation right so mm-hmm. they would know how to do it and they were given a number of different case vignettes okay where they would then have to determine what diagnosis was came from that case and what was interesting is that well for the more common ones like I talked about earlier they were fairly accurately diagnosed but for the less common types of uh, OCD subtypes Mm -hmm. they there was a lot of misdiagnosis and people would they would think instead of a sexual obsession they might think oh they're struggling with sexual orientation or they might um, diagnose someone as a pedophile when really it was a sexual obsession. So mm. it can be quite challenging to to diagnose. And there's a couple of other reasons, which is the fact that, you know, people will not talk about their obsessions. They're embarrassing. Mm-hmm. Um, they might feel guilty for having th- those types of thoughts. And so they're very people with OCD can be very secretive as well. And what we know is that it takes... The average number of years from the time someone first um, has their OCD symptoms until mm-hmm. when they finally get to proper treatment is between 14 to 17 years. Wow. Yeah. And that's crazy. It is. People will see three to four doctors before they'll get an accurate diagnosis. Oh, no. And I've had clients who um, were told that they were 
delusional, um, had schizophrenia, Mm -hmm. um, had bipolar, you know, so it's, uh, it's, and that is, that's really scary. Yeah. Yeah, It's very sad sad. and scary. Yeah. What's the biggest thing that you've learned throughout your career? So I guess for me, what I would say is that as a therapist, over time, you, you really have to be able to read your client. You need to, and so working with people who have OCD, mm-hmm. um, you know, I've, I've mentioned some pretty scary types of obsessions people can have. Mm-hmm. And so I have to be able to tell with my client when, when do I need to use kind of kid gloves? When can I push a little bit more? And so it's that kind of push and pull that happens in treatment where, so when I first see somebody at the beginning, there's no way I would ever tell them kind of the types of p- potential uh, e- exposure response to prevention tasks that we might be doing down the road mm-hmm. because it might be too, they would be like, what? <laughs> uh, run out of here. But it's done, at a very gra- it's done in a very gradual way so that people are, you know, gradually moved up to things that they can handle. So it's done, mm-hmm. so... The way to kind of think about it is that there are some times that I can tell a client isn't quite ready for a particular task that we want to do. And so I have to back off and and find another way to kind of still go after that fear, but make it a much more manageable task. Then other times I'll have clients who I can kind of tell are like, ah, yeah, they're kind of not, they're, they're holding back. Like they're not, not in a way, but they're scared. Mm -hmm. And I kind of know from working with them that they're ready to kind of move. And so, you know, I've described myself sometimes as like that, that mama bird in the nest, right? So I got my baby birds in the nest and, and, and sometimes I might have to push them out, but I would never do that unless they're ready. And so it's that push and pull that happens. Mm -hmm. And it's not, it's something that takes time to learn. You don't, you know, and a lot of new therapists don't have that and mm-hmm. you know one of the things that I I do is I or I I have done some supervision with um, new therapists who are learning this particular type of treatment in this in the states and mm-hmm. um, and those are types of questions is that as that understanding that push and pull so that's kind of probably okay. what I think has been one of the most important nice. things that's awesome um, what piece of advice would you give for someone wanting to start their career in clinical psychology my advice would be that you want to find your niche. Mm-hmm. You want to find the area that you enjoy the most and that you are the best at. Um, you know, I went through many different careers, well, different types of psychology. Like, so when I, I, I worked in pediatric oncology, so working with mm-hmm. kids with cancer, I worked in um, a university setting. I've worked in private practice settings and you kind of learn all these different things and then you kind of go, okay, what is it that I, that I mm-hmm. like? And then having that niche and then going after what you like. Absolutely. Um, so before we wrap up, do you have any final thoughts you'd like to say about OCD Awareness Week or you know any other information you'd like to share? Yeah, um, I guess I want to talk a little bit around couple of the, you know, OCD Awareness Week is um, a time for people to kind of understand what OCD really is. And I mean, hoping that, you know, after talking today that people might have a better understanding and not see it kind of as a quirk or just something Mm -hmm. that is a personality trait, but that it truly is a mental health illness and that people who have OCD are actually suffering. Mm -hmm. And, um, and that it, it actually is one of the fourth most common mental health um, disorders that's diagnosed. And it's one of the top 10 that is um, causing sort of worldwide like disability burden, you right. know, so people get, having to go off on disability. Um, the other thing, you know, that I've over my time and the other piece that I guess that I just want to talk about is some of the initiatives that are kind of coming up. And so mm-hmm. OCD Awareness Week right now, one of the um, challenges that people are doing is what they call face your fears. And for OCD treatment, you have to face your fear. And so people are are kind of going to social media and wanting to put on this like, OK, face your fears and and 
a picture of you facing your fear. Um, mm. So that's it's a challenge that people with OCD are asking other people to try. Yeah, try my family that's members. Pretty say, cool. Try it. Yeah. yeah, I like that. And um, you know, the other thing, even here in Alberta, we've um, well, I I kind of feel like I feel like it's so important for people to understand that OCD is treatable, and that's one of the most rewarding parts of my job mm. is to see people go from not being able to do or function or go to school um, or work and then to be able to graduate or to to move on and and to know how to properly uh, respond to their any any sort of obsessions that might come down the road Mm -hmm. or intrusive thoughts it's it's very treatable and I don't think people realize that and if you can catch this early enough because it's a brain-based disorder, a neurobiological disorder, because the brain's not fully developed until we're 25 years of age, the you know catching it early, we can see lasting changes and give those um, skills to children well before, so that they can bring it into adulthood and they won't have um, that same level of of uh, challenges. And one of the initiatives that we've done is I created so the RBC always has kind of a RBC run run for the kids. Right. Yeah. We had it just a few weeks ago, and uh, the last two years, I sort of created a team called the OCD Challengers, mm-hmm. where um, we are trying to raise money, and we raised uh, in the last two years about almost twenty five thousand dollars, and it's all going towards Alberta Children's Hospital. Amazing. And to help with kids who have OCD and their families. So that's been a really great thing. And then more recently, there's an initiative going in where there's a group of people who kind of put together um, a grant and won, won a grant to create the Tourette's OCD network. Mm. And um, so in the next three years, we're trying to put together that. And that is going to be a place for people to know where to go and um, also trying to get the services out beyond just Calgary and Edmonton and training some mental health um, professionals and so forth and trying to just help out with that. Yeah, that's amazing. Yeah. So anyway, but that's kind of the most important pieces that I I feel is just people to understand, you know, it's treatable. I also want people to kind of know that uh, in Alberta, we have an Alberta OCD Foundation um, and that's really a nonprofit uh, foundation that basically is a community. It's creating a community um, to sort of support people who have OCD. It's based out of Edmonton and they are actually support groups that can and different that can happen out of Edmonton and uh, we don't have it here in Calgary but that is something that if anyone is interested in starting a group in Calgary that they could contact the Alberta OCD Foundation and they would get information on how to do that. Perfect. Great to know. Well, thank you so much for coming on the podcast and sharing your journey and expertise and knowledge. And I'm really happy we got to do this on OCD Awareness Week. Hopefully a lot of people can take away um, lots of knowledge and info about this. And yeah, thank you so much. Really appreciate it. Oh, thank you. I, I really appreciate being asked and I'm really happy to be able to share and try to increase awareness. Yeah.